I really appreciated and enjoyed this sermon series on the life of Abraham in the Old Testament. I will be finishing it up today. Abraham has a very interesting story in the Bible. He is right smack at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, and lots and lots and lots of what, even what we read about in the New Testament, has ties back to him and his story. He was called to go out on a limb and do something that was scary, do something that was basically unknown. He was asked to go somewhere, and he went. And he didn't even say where. He just went. But he wasn't perfect. And that's what I think is so interesting about the life of Abraham. If I was the author of the Bible, and I am not, to be clear, but if I was the author of the Bible, I would make sure my heroes were sanitized, right? I would make sure and tidy up their story a little bit. Any loose ends, I don't want that to be reported to people. I want the heroes to be the heroes of the story and not have any question marks beside their name. Uh, But that is not the case. The Bible presents biblical heroes that we look up to with all their warts included and all of their mistakes, and all of their sins. We see them for who they are. And honestly, I think that's something in the Bible's favor. This sounds a little arrogant to say so, but I think God knew what he was doing when he gave us these people and said, hey, Abraham's a righteous guy, but he does have these questionable issues in his life. And I don't know about you all, but I can relate to that. I'm already on a tangent. I'm sorry. I haven't even started the sermon. I'm on, a, I'm on a tangent, so I better keep going. You guys remember what God promised to Abraham, right? Huge promise. He'd be the father of nations. Yeah, if he were to go outside and try and count the stars, uh, that's how many kids he would have. That would be what his offspring looked like. Abraham and his wife were old, well past childbearing years, and I can't help but think like, what, when they heard that promise, what did they think? I mean, obviously, it was something that they wanted, right, to have children. But I wonder if they thought, uh, how is that going to happen exactly? I don't know how loudly in their mind the question, when, echoed as years passed before God fulfilled that promise. I mean, they had to wait a long time and wonder, is this actually going to happen? I, I wonder if Abraham and Sarah... You know, when they were really discouraged and wondering when this was going to take place, questioned and said, did we misunderstand? Like, how, like I know what God said, but maybe he, w- he said one thing and we heard something else. Maybe this is something that we wanted so bad that we, we just misunderstood what God was telling us. I don't know. Maybe they thought, oh, God was speaking figuratively. He didn't really mean we were going to actually have children. Maybe they thought, well, God was pulling his leg. Maybe they thought in a really bad day, God wasn't powerful enough to do this anyway. One other quick thing. Here's a little parenthetical. Today in the sermon, it's Abram and Sarai. I am going to make a mistake a hundred times and call them Abraham and Sarah. (laughs) So... It's all the same person. You know later in the story they become Abraham and Sarah. So I'm going to mix that up a bunch just because it's easy to do. But I would like you to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 16. That's what we're going to be studying today. Genesis 16, the words are going to appear on the screen in front of me or to the sides of me. Or you can open up your Bible or your Bible app and read along with me. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. 
Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. Ooh, I just did it. Did you catch it? Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Stop here for just a second. Genesis 15 is where God promises to Abraham that his descendants will be like stars in the sky. One chapter ago. Now there's been a ten-year span between that promise and now. So in that ten years, Abram and Sarah are waiting They're waiting for God to fulfill that promise. When is it going to happen? And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I think it's really interesting that even though 10 years had passed, in the story of Abram and Sarai, this is the very next thing that has happened. Abram and Sarai are already starting to wonder when. Maybe we need to start taking things into our own hands. Maybe we need to intervene and give God a little nudge and figure out the solution to this issue on our own. She's antsy, and she says, hey, I've got a slave from Egypt named Hagar. She offers Hagar to her husband as an alternative. There's a ton to unpack in just that one little sentence, isn't there? Earlier in Genesis, we know that Abram and Sarai spent some time in Egypt, and while they were there, they acquired Hagar. Now, uh, you guys remember the story, right? When Abraham was there, he lied about who Sarai was. She was beautiful, and he was afraid that somebody would try and off him to get to his wife. So he said, oh, no, 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 it's my sister. Don't worry about it, right? Caused all kinds of troubles. In any marital counseling that I've ever done, I have never recommended Abraham as a model for what husbands should do, right? This is a bad idea. Now, depending on what version of the Bible that you are reading, Hagar may be called something besides a slave, right? NIV says slave. Sometimes they say servant. Sometimes they say maidservant. One says handmaid, which I think sounds very fancy, right? But whatever it was, that's who Hagar was. Hagar was a person that, she acqui- that they acquired while they were in Egypt. I looked into this a lot because I wanted to know what kind of choice Hagar had in the matter, right? And if she truly was property, the amount of choice that she had was nothing, right? No choice but to go along with what her owner said. Lots of uh, commentaries that I read about said that uh, Maidservants in biblical times were treated like family members, and it was almost as if they were equal with the family, and so therefore all of this was okay. I'm not totally convinced about that. That seems like a bit of a stretch because Hagar was still purchased, right? That seems like an off way to begin uh, the relationship. So even though it may have been a culturally accepted thing, like if a family truly cannot create heirs, with the wife, then it was culturally acceptable to give a servant, a handmaiden, a maidservant, or whatever you want to call her, to the patriarch of the family in order that the family line may continue. But just because something is culturally acceptable does not mean it was morally acceptable. That's what I think is really interesting. Even if she's treated well, part of the family, I don't know how much choice Hagar had in the matter. Despite this question of what say she had, we still need to talk about Sarai, right? You guys saw it. She's impatient. She wants to know, God, when is this going to happen? It seems like she's not really willing to wait for God to do what he does and fulfill his promise the way that he intended to fulfill it. So she needs to hurry things along, and that's when things really start to go downhill. Verse, uh, well, the very end of four. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, 
You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. There's trouble in paradise, right? Hagar despises Sarai. And Sarai goes to Abraham and says, hey, you got us into this mess. Now you better get us out of it, which makes me think, uh, not really. I'm not sure. This was not Abraham's idea, right? It's very funny how she says that. Abraham played his role, but this started with Sarai's idea. Abraham washes his hands of the situation. Uh, She's your slave. Like, you take care of it, right? You do whatever you think is best. So Sarai flips the table and says, I'm going to start mistreating Hagar. So badly that Hagar says, I got to get out of here. This isn't working. Sarai's plan to rush God's plan isn't really working very well, is it? It starts off rough. Creates a ton of family drama. God made a promise, correct? His plan was in motion. And he didn't need Sarai to suggest a plan B. We are not very patient, are we? Uh, One of the ladies in my small group just this past week said she's very nervous to pray for patience because when you do, tons of opportunities to be patient or not present themselves, right? That's how you learn patience. Uh, Sherm had all of us mention out loud last week. You guys remember all the promises that we could think of, things that God has promised to people in the Bible, to us, to whomever. There's a ton. I read Romans 8 this past week. I love that chapter. Paul tells the church in Rome, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's a promise. We know that God works things out for our good. It's a promise I cling to. None of us get to see the big picture, though, and see how he's doing that or what God is doing behind the scenes to accomplish those things. God's word says that ultimately everything works out for the good, but temporarily, today, this next year, It might not seem very good. The worst thing that that could ever happen to you in your entire life is going to end up being good. Sometimes, especially when you're right in the thick of it, it is hard to believe that promise, but it is a promise. Man, we've had, just in our church family, we've had a ton of illnesses lately, big ones. We've had some big surgeries lately, some of which are not going great. There have been a lot of struggle. When you're laying alone in a hospital room and you start to notice that the doctors are not talking about when you're going to get home anymore, it's hard to remember that God is going to work things out for your good, isn't it? It's a long-term promise. Paul didn't say that all things work out for our immediate good. He didn't even promise that we're going to see the good on this side of heaven. We may have to have this conversation with the Lord someday and ask him, what were you doing? What was the plan? How did that work out for my good? We're talking about an ultimate good that can be hard to see or feel. Sometimes, probably most of the time, we have to trust that God is doing what he does behind the scenes, even if we can't see it. Take a look at COVID. You guys heard of COVID, right? Nice to see your faces today, some of you guys. I think that's great that we're making progress in the right direction. I'm sorry you have to see my face. That is a drawback. Paul didn't tell us that uh, all... Oh, whoops, I skipped, I, I skipped ahead a little bit. Oh, COVID, yeah. 
So for two years, things have been weird. Just weird, right? I mean, week after week, what is the Lord going to throw at us next? Last, or this week, my daughter Chloe said she'd like to stop living through newsworthy events. I could agree with that. I would love to just have boring, normal life for a little while, right? It can be difficult to look at all that we have been through the last two years and think that was for our good in the end. It's what God promised, right? We got to believe it. I don't always know how that's going to work out. We grieve the things that we've lost, the friends, the family, the relationships, the sense, this, the general sense that we had that things are going to be okay. And we wonder, how on earth could, this, could God possibly work this out? Is he even working? Did he leave us? These are the kinds of questions that are pretty common to have when we're going through things like this. I got a cheesy example that I honestly hesitate to even tell you about, but it means a lot to me, and I hope I can explain it in a way that means something to you. But uh, my family and I, we used to live overseas, right? And uh, when we lived uh, overseas, uh, we couldn't work. It was part of our agreement. I actually had to write a letter to the Italian government that said, I promise I'm not going to look for work while I live here. So our whole salary, everything we needed from toilet paper to you know, money for the car came from people in America that believed in what we were going to do. Right when we moved, a couple years after we moved, uh, the financial crisis here in America hit, and the dollar tanked, and that meant that if somebody in America gave me 100 bucks, I used to be able to get 100 euro, right? But I looked it up, because I, I knew it was bad in my head, but I had no idea how bad. So as the dollar is becoming less and less valuable, I can buy fewer and fewer euro when I go to the bank, right? Hit, hit 90 euro. It hit 80 euro, it hit 70 euro. The lowest it ever got was 63 euro. I, I, there's actually websites where you can look this stuff up. So I watched my budget go from pretty much one to one to one to, what would that be, uh, 0.6, somewhere around there, right? Through no, what, I mean, what, what control do I have over that? Zero. Who do I even complain to about that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like some banker dude. I don't know how this stuff works, right? But gradually, over the span of very few months, me and Heidi were thinking, oh my, how are we going to pay the bills? And what are we going to do? So, so what do I do? Brian's going to take things into his own hands. This is exactly where Satan wants me, worrying. That's how he uses, that's how he really gets to me. So I'm seeing us starting to make really difficult financial decisions like, can we buy groceries, that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to fix it. Well, we'll move money around here and we'll cut this expense and I'm going to call up everybody in America that's going through a financial crisis and ask them if they can help us out a little bit. All of these things, like I'm trying to fix the solution or fix the problem. Is that what I should have worked on in that situation? Probably not. That was not the best use of my time. I knew God wanted me where I was. I was absolutely convinced of that. But, and I tried to make sure that it happened. I tried to force things. And instead, I should have just continued to allow God to take care of me. That was really hard. Whenever we were in the middle of a global financial crisis, and I wasn't sleeping very well, and I get grouchy, and then I read the words that, man, do I, I read this passage so often. I probably quote it so often in sermons. You all might be tired of hearing me say this, but here is Jesus himself speaking words to Brian. 
Therefore, I tell you, Brian Rodert, Central Christian Church, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. I forgot Jesus' promise. I wanted to work hard and make sure that I took care of me instead of allowing God to do what he promised he would do. And I bet I'm not the only one that has ever forgotten that. This is from the passage passage in Matthew. In the passage in Luke, it's almost the exact same story, but Luke adds a tiny little phrase. Jesus tells the people that he's talking to, he calls them little flock. And when I read that this past week, as I'm watching things spiral out of control all all over the world... I think Jesus called me his little flock. He puts flowers in fields just to dress them up. And I'm way more valuable than grass, and so are you. Why do I worry about this stuff? Why do we worry about this stuff when he has promised he will take care of us? Back to Hagar, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your mercy, or misery, excuse me. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. The angel of the Lord is a really unique character in the Old Testament. It's not a normal angel. Um, The angel of the Lord does things that typically only God does. He forgives sins. He accepts offerings. Many people think that it's a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring in the desert. That's pretty low. If you're hanging out in the desert, that's low. But if you're by a a spring, that means you ran out of water. She's run from home. She get away from her mistress because of the jealousy that has swept through that house. And in that low spot, God came near to her. And did you catch the promise that he made to her? I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Does that promise ring a bell? It does, doesn't it? That's the exact same promise that God gave to Abram. God saw an abused woman in the middle of the desert, and he made her the exact promise that he gave to Abram, one of the patriarchs in the line of Jesus himself. Keep going, verse 13. 
She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. You are the God who sees me. I kind of think we should just stop the sermon right there and just all think about that phrase for a little bit. You are the God who sees me. Sometimes it's hard to be seen by God. His gaze is pretty intense, isn't it? He sees right through the facades that we try and put up. He sees us through the mask that we put up so that nobody can really see who we are. We would rather God see the polished, sanitized, holy version of ourselves, but he's not fooled by that. Other times, we want nothing more than to be seen by God. Hagar felt invisible. She had been scooped out of her homeland and suddenly was in the crosshairs of a woman that was jealous that she gave her something her husband something that she couldn't give. And it got so bad that sitting in a desert was a better place to be. And God saw her. This is the only time that a person gave God a name. God gives people names all the time. He's about to change Abram and Sarai's name to Abraham and Sarah. But here, she gives God a name. You are the God who sees me. He sees us when we're down, and that name speaks a lot about who God is. I think it's so interesting that God didn't say, keep running. I've got a place down the road all picked out for you. What does he tell Hagar? Go back. Allow my plan to work itself out. But remember... I see you. His plans keep marching forward, but this time Hagar was moving forward, having been seen by God. He didn't rescue her out of the situation. He saw her through it. I'm not sure where you are this morning, spiritually, but I think it's a really good thing to be seen by God. It's intense to be seen by him, but it is good. Whatever you're facing, and I know that some of you all are facing things that seem insurmountable. God sees you, little flock. He sees you when you are plopped down in the middle of the, ro- in the, middle of the desert and have decided to give up. He comes down and reassures you that his plan is going forward and it's not going to be interrupted by whatever life throws at us. So one takeaway this morning is just to wait. That's no fun. Allow God's plan to go forward. Trust that he's going to keep taking care of you just like he always does. Don't feel like, we shouldn't feel like we always have to come up with a solution to kind of Well, God obviously hasn't got this figured out. He probably needs my help. Sometimes the best solution is to let God's plan continue and to know that he sees you where you are at. I am not great at waiting at all. Hagar struggled with waiting. Abraham and Sarai did do a great job of waiting. But to a God whose timeline is all of eternity, 
our timelines must seem really, really small to him. Allow him to do his work, even if it means that our immediate situation isn't going to change. That is a prayer I pray a lot. I've seen in my life that God doesn't often rush in to radically change my situation very often. It just doesn't happen. When we're struggling, it is not uncommon for God to leave us in the struggle. I don't think that Hagar and Sarai were like best buddies going to get tea after Haggai returned home. Do you? Do you think as Hagar became more visibly pregnant and time went on and we all knew that the baby was about to be born, do you think Hagar felt, or excuse me, Sarai felt better or worse about the situation? I bet it was tough. And I don't imagine that they got to be good friends right away. But God saw her. He went down to her. And he reminded her that his plan is not going to get interrupted. God sometimes chooses to leave us in the struggle, but he goes through it with us. He sees us. That's not cruel. I thought a lot about that because you could take that bad. Like, why wouldn't God save you every time? But I, I thought, I'd look at the life of my kids. I don't always rescue them from the struggle that they're going through. I know that the struggle is good for them. It makes them better, stronger. So I think God looks at us kind of the same way, knowing that the struggle is going to be good for us in the end. Didn't he promise that all things will work out for the good in the end? Second takeaway. We don't have time to read the passage. It's a couple chapters away. But uh, 13 years later, Abraham and Sarah get pregnant. 13 more years. They have Isaac. They become Abraham and Sarah. And then the trouble starts all over again. Did you know this? Hagar gets kicked out because Sarah doesn't want to have anything to do with Hagar and, and um, her son Ishmael. Once again, she goes out to the desert. And you know what happened? God came near her. He took care of her needs. Reminded her that his promise was still in effect. So the takeaway is this, he keeps seeing us even when there's setbacks, even when things are not going to plan according to our plans. I think it's very comforting to know that God's plans include all the hiccups along the way, right? God was not like when Hagar decided to go out into the desert because she was being mistreated, God was not scrambling to figure out what he was going to do now. His plans are not thwarted when we decide to take things into our own hands. Third takeaway, be encouraged. Um, Heidi and I went to a concert in Chicago last night, uh, which we are too old to go to concerts in Chicago the night before Sunday, but we did it anyway. Uh, There's a moment in the concert where things suddenly got very heavy. The uh, guy on stage uh, just acknowledged all that we had been through in the last two years, acknowledged the craziness of Ukraine, and things got heavy. What are we going to do? We have all been through a lot. Many of us are hurting. Many of us are afraid. But he is the God who sees us. That's his name. It's not just who he is. It's like his name himself. It's, it's on his desk plate on his desk. 
The God who sees us is who he is. And he's going to keep seeing us no matter what we go through. We all pray with me. God, that's a that's quite the name. We thank you for being a God who sees us. It's so tempting when things are tough to feel like you are far away, that you kind of wound the world up and you're just watching all of us go through what we're going to go through. But God, you don't. You come down and you see us where we are at. For that, we're thankful. Father, I pray that you help us to remember that promise. Remember that that is who you are. And seeing people is what you do. Father, I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. No matter where you are at today, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. You might be a person who absolutely knows that God sees you. Your job this coming week is to tell someone else that God sees them. Share with them the story of Hagar in the Bible and say, look at this amazing thing that God worked out. Look at the promises that he gave to the guy before Abram and then the Egyptian slave, Hagar. Same exact promise. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve people wherever we go. Maybe you're a person that this is brand new. You have not started to follow Jesus. No matter where you are at, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to help you get started in following Jesus. I'm going to be right over here after the service, and I'd love to visit with you. But for now, will you stand up and sing with me? Let's sing one last song together.